0: This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District Podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS-podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Well, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how our guest has built a bank for startups and then helps them with securing their seed round with top investors. Today, we have our guest, Imad Akhun, joining us. Imad is the co-founder and CEO of Mercury, a bank for startups engineered in Silicon Valley and aimed for tech companies to help them succeed. Imad and Mercury have raised over $25 million from investors like Andreessen Horowitz and Charles River Ventures. Prior to launching Mercury, he co-founded Hayzap, which is acquired for $45 million by Fiber, which we'll talk about today. So welcome, Imad. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Akil.
0: Yeah. So uh, as we like to start every single interview podcast, we like to know what's your personal background, what are some of your past experiences and ventures, including launching and exiting your first startup haze which we mentioned was acquired by fiber for 45 million dollars if you could share that story
1: sure i'm actually four startups deep so haze was my third startup uh, oh, wow. although I did, it was the bulk of the time so i, I started making startups in 2006 Um uh, app i started at the end of 2008 and we went on till 2016 when we sold it um and HayzApp was basically a developer tool for mobile app developers to help them maximize how much money they made uh, via ads. Uh, since then, since 2016, I've also invested in about 150 companies, including Airtable, Rappi, Rippling, um uh, Momentous Space, a bunch of other really interesting companies, many of them SaaS, uh, but a wide variety. Uh, And then I started Mercury in 2017, uh, which is, you know, kind of came from my own pains of using these kind of incumbent banks for my startups. I just, you know, I can't personally stand using like bad products and then to be charged like, you know, egregious fees and like get bad customer service on top of it. I just like found it like super (laughs) frustrating. so yeah, that's why we started Mercury. Uh, and what we found with Mercury is like, we're really serving like often quite early stage startups and you we know, are people often asking us for help. So yeah, over time we've expanded the envelope and into, and we have like this new program called Mercury Raise to help companies also like raise money. Um, so yeah, uh, happy to yeah. dive into any of that.
0: Yeah, I mean that's interesting. We were talking about this before the show. I mean, I know when I first had to open a company because I registered a company in the U.S. and then I tried to open a bank. I actually, like had to fly down to Denver, walk into a Wells Fargo, and you know it cost me—I don't know—at least a thousand bucks, right? Um, and cool. now, you know, I found out Mercury is like this is this is amazing. So I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a big category
1: for us is like people who yeah don't even live in the U.S. that yeah set a start a U.S. company. Uh, it's yeah. about half our customers are kind of that category. Nice. Uh, and yeah. it's crazy. Like you really, yeah, you really had to fly to the U.S. Uh, and sit in a bank branch for like two hours. Uh, and obviously, especially in a pandemic, no one wants to do
0: that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So just before we get into Mercury, I want to talk a little bit more about Heza. Uh Maybe you could just talk about. Um, so obviously you've had some success. You've got investors. Uh, maybe you could talk about initial costs of, you know, launching that company. And then would, what would you say like drove the success of that startup to, you know, that acquisition and eventual exit for you? just for people who are thinking to maybe, you know, plan for their exit in the SaaS companies?
1: Yeah. You know, that was, that was a long winded story. We started in 2009 in like Flash games. I don't know Mm -hmm. if if you remember Flash games, but that was a thing back in 2009. Uh, And even when we started, we, and we had some plans to like monetize, but not like, to be honest, there weren't good plans. Uh, so we actually raised quite early on, like we did Y Combinator, and then we raised, uh, you know, back then it was a reasonable size round, like a 500 k round from Union Square Ventures. Uh, and yeah, and we kept going, and you know, that didn't work. We switched over to uh, this, like we did a pivot over to, you know obviously mobile games be up, so we pivoted over to that. Uh, and it wasn't really until our third pivot when we got into ad tech Uh, So basically like 2013. So we started in 2009, 2013. And that was when we started making money. Um, I think like looking at all the cost it took us to get to that point is... Like, I guess it was around $5 million or something, but it's not really, you know, this wasn't like the most efficient route to like build something (laughs) that makes money. Uh, It was kind of like us, like, you know, pivoting and figuring things out and and getting to something there. And then from that point onwards, we were profitable uh, pretty much. I think from 2013, we were profitable until we sold it in 2016. Um, Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, So, you know, obviously at Horizon Capital, we work with uh, founders who are looking to exit their SaaS companies all the time. And I understand, you know, it can be an emotional roller coaster when you're exiting company. Obviously, it's not your first exit. You said it's your third time, but you know, what was that process for you, and ha- has it changed your life after that exit, or was it the first one, and then after that, it's just like a game of repeat?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely changed my life. I mean, before that point, you know, I've been in startups from 2006 to 2016, so I was yeah. never, you know, I did obviously I raised money and I had like salary, but yeah, I wasn't getting. I was I was always paying myself like just enough to survive, right? That was mm-hmm. my, that was my modus operandi. Like I was like, okay, you know, how much do I pay myself? That I, that I don't run out of money, but I wasn't like living in any way, like uh, above my kind of means. Uh, and that was a very you know, significant exit for us. And, you know, we managed to get a house in San Francisco. And obviously that's, that's an expensive thing <laughs> to do. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it was definitely significant in that sense, but in another sense, you know, it doesn't, like money doesn't change your life and it's better to just do something that you're passionate about. So, you know, I'm doing yeah. a startup again and it's not, yeah, to be honest, it's not that different from doing my previous startup. I mean, we raised more money and things like that, but that's just, yeah. The When you're doing a startup, like whether you have more personal money or not, doesn't like change the fact that like it's still a pain in the ass to do it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think like it, it was definitely positive. Um, it's also bittersweet a little bit, right? Like it's like you work on something for a really long time you, know, you do have to like put your heart and soul into like making a product work and making a startup work, and then like when you sell it, like you know, it's like kind of like giving up your baby, um, exactly. and that that part exactly. is hard. Uh, I think for us, the reason we yeah you know, chose to sell it is we were not. I mean, I was passionate about what we built and we worked hard towards it, but it wasn't an industry that was yeah. You know, I wasn't like oh, I really want to spend the next 10 years of my life in ad tech. Uh, it, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was something we'd kind of stumbled into. Um, and ad tech is like a difficult space. It's, I, I think it's not it's not that hard to make like a reasonable size company. And we, you know, we sold it for 45 million, uh, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to make a huge company. So the impact you have is like somewhat limited. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. in like SaaS yeah. and like FinTech, uh, you can make a like really big company have a much bigger impact. Uh, so that was kind of what, uh, kind of pushed us towards like
0: taking an exit. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So um so you had some, you know, obviously a life changing event at that point. You've had like a good exit. Now you can kind of focus on a new market and maybe more towards your passion and something maybe you see longer, you know, seeing yourself in this business more for more than 10 years. Would you say that's accurate with Mercury?
1: Yeah, I see this as a long term thing. I mean if I sold it, I just have to do another company. So <laughs> as long as this is well, I might as well just keep, keep doing this and, you know, uh, and it's fun. Like banking is like the space where, you know, a lot of other spaces and software, there's a lot of people who've already made a bunch of progress. Whereas I think in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a lot of places in FinTech, uh, we you know, we're kind of in the first innings, like, Uh, we're maybe three years into kind of innovation when it comes to like depository banking. So I think there's a lot more that's going to happen and, you know, we can be like a pivotal part of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So Mercury, a bank intended for startups. Why did you, so why did you decide? So you said that, you know, there's some opportunity there. You're still a lot of uh, room. Why did you decide on fintech uh, when, you know, building this bank? And why did you feel like startups was a space that was under underserved? Or where did you see that? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I didn't like, I didn't necessarily go like, oh,
1: let's do a fintech company. And then I tried to come up with ideas in it. This is like very much a personal pain point of mine that I could see that as an entrepreneur, like banks really sucked. Uh, We could do a much better job. Uh, so, you know, I kind of think about it as, as like, A, there's all of these kind of, just like a better product you can build in banking. So in the same way that you know, Zoom is just a much better video conferencing and therefore wins. I think Mercury mm. does that as well. Like we're just a much better kind of online banking experience and uh, we'll win partly for that. B, there's a bunch of features we can build that are specific to the types of pe- entrepreneurs we serve. So we have APIs, we have virtual cards and like those things kind of, you know, actually we just launched Mercury Treasury this week, uh, which lets you put your, uh, X is going kind to of cash into money market funds and treasury bills. Uh, so we can keep layering on these features that are like really help our vertical and like go beyond just like this is a bank account. Um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, so yeah, I felt this pain point uh, on like, a, you know, when you zoom out a little bit, Banking is a freaking huge industry. I think it's like I think in the US is like four trillion dollars or something like that. I mean that's very abstract, uh, yeah. but it's a really big industry. You know the top five hundred banks are all worth more than a billion dollars or something in the US. Uh,
0: wow.
1: So yeah, from obviously like I want to do something big. I want it to be be valued a lot. So so picking an industry that's big, you know gives you a lot of options to grow into that. Uh, why I wanted to serve startups is yeah, you know, it's a space I understand very well. Uh, it was, it's important in FinTech to have like good kind of use acquisition and think that through quite a bit, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, CACs can be pretty high in FinTech if you don't think it through, if you can pick a vertical, like startups that the, there's already kind of strong communities. So, st- you know, entrepreneurs talk to each other a lot. Most of our growth has come from kind of entrepreneurs sharing Mercury with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also kind of channels like accelerators, seed funds, etc. that you can kind of, uh, Ch- channel. Uh, and then also, you know, startups that tend to be, <laughs> tend to make a reasonable amount of noise. So, you know, they're, on the, they're online, they're on the internet. And then lastly, right. I think uh, building a product first company, you kind of want to have product first entrepreneurs. And that's like inherently like um, startups want, uh, on, on, startup entrepreneurs want like these modern products and use them. Uh, so all of those things have mostly played out. Uh, our long term aim is to serve like any digitally enabled business. So, yeah, startups is one. We also serve e-commerce companies. Uh, any U.S. business can actually sign up to Mercury. Uh, so over time, we'll kind of increase that
0: envelope. Cool. And you know, when you compare it to all the banker, you know, the, uh, the space being you know quite competitive, I would say, even though it's you know more traditional, um, there's also you know fintech. There's guys like uh, I think Stripe was it recently that also kind of announced their own banking system or Square. I can't remember. Um, you know, so it's going to get more competitive. What would you say are some like main factors or value props that maybe it can make you guys more more competitive.
1: Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like competitive. Sometimes things from the outside look a lot more competitive than like Mm -hmm. they actually are. Um, like if you were actually an entrepreneur and you were looking to like actually use a bank, uh most of the time we're competing against like these big incumbents. Um, so Mm -hmm. whether it's SBB, which is like more startup focused or Wells Fargo Chase, Bank of America, all of those people, uh, that's really our main competition. Um, and, you know, we think about uh, Stripe, launched something, it's called Stripe Treasury, but it's not a competitor, it's like a banking as a service where uh, okay. I'm sure there will be more competitors over time. Um, but from my experience, yeah, as a startup, you always have like some boogeyman competitor. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, like you, yeah, they will do their thing, you will do your thing. And most of the time, you know, uh, I think I really wish I could remember who did who said this but most startups die from like suicide not homicide it's very <laughs> it's very rare for you to go and like you know be destroyed because someone like outcompeted competed you uh, like right. if you stay focused and do your thing like uh, you'll yeah figure it out um, and banking is just this huge huge space so it's not you know it's not something where I'm like oh we've yeah we're nowhere near in running out of like customers that we could help.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good quote. I like it. So, but then, you know, one side of it is, you know, you're competing with these big banks, traditional banks. And when I think of, uh, you know, most people who, who open a bank, you know, right now there's, or, you know, historically it's been a more personalized experience, right? People walk in, they see a teller, they get that kind of uh, experience with how to open the bank and, you know, getting a targeted service. And I think that builds a loyalty and retention with users over time because they have that teller they can work with their account account manager or or whatnot. What's kind of your guys' strategy for, you know, overcoming that challenge and making it more personal versus just like, you know, uh, like another software tool I can just pick from and kind of make it, you know, transactional.
1: Yeah. I'd say there's two parts of that. Like number one, you know, we've invested a lot in having a great customer service, um, and like, we're, yeah, if you talk to, uh, our customers, they will like say, Hey, you know, Mercury responds quickly. And we, you know, we respond with like real, real humans who know what they're doing and can actually solve your problem. Uh, mm-hmm. so although you say like banks deliver personalized experience, like it's not people have a very negative experience most of the time when they interact True. with their bank. <laughs> like it's like you talk to someone, they can't solve your problem. They don't get it often. And then you you know, get a run around and like, uh, so it's not like a fun experience for people to interact with banks. So that's step one. Step two, I would say, I... I actually mostly, yeah, and this is like a personal mentality, but I think a lot of like, especially tech entrepreneurs would like feel this as well. Every time I have to interact with a bank, it's like a failure. Like their product has failed. Uh, they haven't been able to solve my problem. Like I want to click a button and things happen. Like I don't want to go call someone or talk to someone or or even worse, like going into a branch. Like I just can't imagine like me ever wanting to go somewhere to get (laughs) something done I can do it online. Uh, so there is like a certain set of people where they do prefer having that relationship and going and meeting someone in a bank branch. Uh, and like, yeah, those banks will still exist for that type of person. But I think, I personally think that most people who you know, do their business online are familiar with like, yeah, you know, they use Slack, they use whatever, like they want to do, they just want to get on with things and have them be kind of intuitive and easy and built into the product. And that's what we we're building towards.
0: Right, so somebody like myself, right? Uh, you know, we're like the newer generation of entrepreneurs, um, where your service will be aiming for like the, you know digital banking experience. Um, how, but how do you handle like the the older generations? Maybe you know, you know, obviously you're in Silicon Valley, uh, but you go middle of you know Arkansas or I, I don't know where, where's comp- a, a state in the U.S. But where the older generation that prefers that classic banking model, how do you allude to them and you know make it interesting I mean, to them, or do you not even worry about them? I mean, I'd
1: like to serve them, but at the same time, like you, you be who you are and, you know, there's a set of people like focus is important here, right? Like, I don't think we can like go serve 100% of people in 100% of ways and like go, you know, we're not going to set up bank branches in Arkansas to like serve Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. Uh, So we are who we are. And there's a set of people that like that and we'll get those. And I think that set of people is a growing set of people like the, you know, digital entrepreneurs are the uh, probably the future of entrepreneurship um, yeah i know i'm not like not for those other people who <laughs> who if they don't find it valuable then you know that's their choice
0: okay so you're not going around you know doing tour and like setting up shops and educating these folks on why they need to switch no. to digital yeah no? okay <laughs> I <laughs> okay, cool.
1: Maybe if we run out of digital entrepreneurs, we'll, go, we'll do that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we'll wait five years for that. Um, cool. What What would you say, so you mentioned a few, you know, growth strategies and user acquisition strategies, um, you know, working with other, other, you know, like Y Combinators and, and, and uh, entrepreneur funds, and then also, you know, working with startups, they make a lot of noise. Has there been any other, you know, uh, good growth and user acquisition strategies that you say have worked really well? And on the other side, can you share any, like, experiments that were just like, you know, not, not successful or, you know, you wouldn't recommend to do again or you wouldn't do again?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, we were a little, I mean, it was somewhat planned, but we were also lucky in the sense that, you know, we have like a fairly broad product, like every entrepreneur needs a, needs a bank. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of lends itself a little better to just like kind of fairly broad marketing based noise, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't necessarily, like we don't 85%, 90% of the time, we're not selling directly to a customer. We're just kind of, yeah, as you know, part of the ecosystem or we're you know, tweeting about it and all this kind of stuff. And that's how people learn about us mm-hmm. and, and our customers kind of uh, tell them about us. So. So mm-hmm. that's like somewhat lucky. I don't think you can pull it off with like a non broad product, right? I mean, there are some products that are like 100% of people need and there's other products that are like less people need, but yeah, often with the latter, you, they have like, they're more expensive and you can go target them in like specific ways. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, so in terms of things that work for us, you know, it is like one thing that worked for us very successfully was we have yeah i deliberately in our seed round we had about sixty investors um and in our series a we had another forty investors so in both both cases we had like lead investor and uh, in recent harvards and c r v that did like the bulk of the round um uh, mm-hmm. but we had a lot of people in the ecosystem that like well known kind of silicon valley investors uh angel investors um fintech investors all of that stuff so so whatever we yeah you know, when we launched the they helped kind of uh really like propel that message. Uh and mm. yeah, you know, they've been uh they've been really supportive throughout. Um and that's been part of uh our distribution strategy from yeah, not just distribution, but also like a way of us building trust in the ecosystem in the community. Uh, in terms of things that haven't worked, I mean one thing that I thought would work and maybe it will work in the future but it hasn't worked very well so far is like, you know, going through like lawyers uh and Mostly lawyers, but also like to some extent accountants for distribution. Uh, yeah. cause yeah, lawyers, especially with, um, more established companies, like law firms often, sorry, more established ones, law firms often like incorporate, uh, exactly. the, uh, the company. So it would be like a good place to get referrals. Um, uh, and similarly with accountants, but you know, our experience has been to some extent, like we appeal a lot to entrepreneurs. I want like the best product and all that, but like lawyers and, accountants, just they're of lawyers especially are like very conservative. They don't necessarily yeah. want to like, you know, they're much more of like a, whole, like if, you know, if it's, if IBM is doing it, then it's like, you can't go wrong with IBM kind of mentality. Um, mm. But that's been, that's been one strategy that hasn't worked so far. I mean, I'm not like, I haven't given up on 100%. but uh, Yeah, I would think we, that would work really like,
0: well, right? Yeah. yeah. It's
1: just like, you know, who do you appeal to? Like, we really do appeal to like entrepreneur. that's like, you know, that really feels the pain of like logging into a bank and like not wanting to do it and like uh, having a yeah. bit of risk. Uh, mm. so, so yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about like what channels, uh, fit your kind of like type of person.
0: Interesting. So that's, that's cool. So, I mean, first point about like what worked really well, I think, you know, for entrepreneurs listening, you know, I think that the point there, the key there, takeaways, like, you know, pick your investors well. Um, you know, you did that strategically because they're going to make a lot of noise. They're already well connected and they're going to spread the word with, you know, just by selecting them. And then, you know, what didn't work, that's kind of curious. I wonder if, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, lawyers and accountants who only work with startups, I guess that would probably be a better one because they're already used to that kind of even then they're, no? they're like
1: conservative um really and we have um but you know it might change like as in like yeah. you know as we get bigger like we you know hopefully eventually we become the default in which case like we're the ones being pushed by these people um hmm. i give you like one trick that i think has worked well for for us uh, and i've noticed other entrepreneurs don't always do it is like um the last bit of the round, like when you're raising like a seed round or series or whatever it is, the last bit of the round is by far the easiest. Um, so once mm. you have a lead investor, you have a lot of momentum, you have like 10, 20% of the round left. Uh, and it, often what happens is like entrepreneurs don't leave enough space there. Like they'll just fill that up with like the lead investor or like, they've, you know, whoever they're talking to. Uh, I think it's really useful to like be very strategic with that last bit and then go get... Yeah, go get difficult uh, angel investors and difficult entrepreneurs, or like whoever is like your dream person. Like, try to get them in that aspect because uh, then you have a lot of leverage. Like, if you can go to someone and say, you know, for us in the seed round, we were like, hey, Andreessen Horowitz is already doing the seed round. Do you want to back this company? It's just much easier for them to say yes uh, versus like, you know, I'm an unknown entrepreneur doing this thing. Um, mm. So I would say like, that's like kind of, you know, if you do want to get like, you know, some larger set of, uh, investors, um, uh, I, I always recommend o- other entrepreneurs as investors. Uh, I think it's like, n- it's nice to give some space at the end and like not just fill it up with like whoever
0: comes along. Whoever gives you the, the check. Yeah. That's smart. I like it. Um, so you mentioned, um, you know, when, the experience you're trying to bring to users is, you know, make it simple. I log in one click, gives me a solution. Are there any kind of uh, other innovations that are being leveraged to optimize the, you know, existing procedures and processes for, you know, making the, you know, whether whether it's currently to make things more efficient, or you see kind of it moving towards with, with Mercury?
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that we, Put a lot of time into, like I would say, an insane amount of time into is the onboarding experience. Uh, mm. But you know, we basically had a year and a half to build Mercury, and uh, partly because we were doing the, you know, the bank stuff, and partly because we were probably a little perfectionist about it. Uh, and we spent a lot of time on that onboarding experience, um, mm. and that's kind of like kind of makes you know for. It's a bank. So like we do have to collect a bunch of data. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not just like, here's an email. Here's a password. You're done kind of thing. So, you know, we've turned something that might have been like a major friction point into like a actual like magic point where like people are like, Oh, wow. That was like really easy to understand and smooth. I can't believe like, you know. Compared to your example of like flying into Denver to like walk into a branch and like do a bank account versus like online, like you know you have a magic experience and you do it in kind of ten minutes. Um, yeah. So that actually is like it's weird. Like at, at the time when we were doing it, we didn't think this was like going to be that important, but it it has made like this kind of very you know very top of funnel magic moment for people where people are like, okay, you know we've now set an expectation for like a very high bar for the rest of the product um, mm. and. And that's been much more successful than I thought it would be, um, but yeah, you know, we try to make like a lot of other things just easier and better. Uh, so you know, like if you want to get an account number, you don't have to. Like, yeah, previous to Mercury, I'd have to like dig through my emails to find my account number and all this stuff. Like we make it like very kind of front and center and like make it so you just click on it and it just copies it. So all of these things are like obvious in hindsight, but mm-hmm. you know, banks are just not really innovating into own products so, like you can you can make a lot a lot of like these kind of incremental things that like add up to being a much much nicer experience
0: nice nice yeah i mean i think i when i, f- I think i first heard of you guys i think just over a year ago it was in a in, a, in this facebook community group of entrepreneurs i'm in and somebody posted about it, and when i when I logged in, I was like, I had to do a double check. I'm like, wait, this, this is actually going to save save me, you know, like next time I, I'm like more excited to open a, a U.S. bank account. So can't wait to try <laughs> you guys out. <laughs> um, you know, so talking about kind of the innovation, you guys also created this new product. Uh, I think it's called uh, Mercury Raise, where you help seed, uh, you know, help help invest, or startups get uh, in front of, uh, other, some of the top investors for their seed round. Um, are you guys kind of leveraging because you have the data of their business account, you're able to kind of make that connection easier and makes it easier for investors to, to make that decision or, or what, what's the idea there?
1: Uh, no, I don't think we're not currently like kind of leveraging your data to figure out like, Oh, you should get funding or something like that. It's much more kind of opt in from the user's perspective. Uh, mm. I'm a big fan of like, you know, once you launch and like you have users to like listen to your users and figure out like what's pain points and like solve them. And one of the biggest ones, you know, we get companies like really early on, like yeah, a significant percentage of our companies are like right after incorporation. They sign up to Mercury. Yeah. And yes. obviously we're targeting kind of startups and people have aspirations to raise money. Uh so a lot of the time people ask us, like yeah, I talk to my customers often, so they often ask me, Hey, you know, you know a lot of entrepreneurs, like can you help me raise raise the seed round? Uh, so we, this was like a major request. And instead of like, yeah, every now and then I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll introduce you to one or two people. Uh, I wanted to like try to systematize it. Um, and yeah, we've had this like great reception. We ran, um, we ran this in kind of batches. Uh, so first batch we ran last month, well, I guess maybe a month and a half ago. Uh, we had about 460 companies, um, apply, uh, it's not complicated. Like they basically like give a deck and like, yeah, give some basic kind of metrics and things like that. Uh, and then we sent it out to about 170 investors. Uh, and these are basically all the investors I knew, but also when we announced this round, we had a lot of kind of uh, a lot more interest than I would have thought. Like we had like, yeah, a lot of like really strong kind of VCs and angel investors like NFX and first round capital and all these people kind of say, Hey, I want to be part of this. Uh, which is really cool to see. Uh, so we all, yeah, we're still trying to enhance it over time. Uh, we ended up making, I think we made about three hundred connections between investors and entrepreneurs in the last batch, uh, which is cool. Uh, so yeah, it's from my perspective, we can help entrepreneurs succeed, we succeed. So that's kind of
0: cool. That's what it's about. So the four hundred and sixty said that applied, you know, connects connects to one hundred and seventy investors in in that pool. How, do you know how many got like actual got uh, funding? Uh, you guys it, don't check that.
1: We we try to track it, but you know people aren't always as responsive as we'd like. Uh, more, than, I believe, like we ended up doing more than twenty kind of actual funding events from it. Uh, but but yeah, we're tra- we're trying to like compile stats about it. We're actually thinking maybe we could make the funding as part of the part of the product or something because like it's yeah you know people don't always tell us.
0: Yeah, I, I want so do you have like a? I don't know if you want to mention this or not. We can cut it out. But do you have like a monetization strategy behind that, or was it just more like as a helping these startups find funding or do you have some kind of agreement with all these startups as like your your deal flow and if you get anything they kind of referral fee over affiliate um
1: uh, no i'm happy to talk about it we're all about transparency we don't this product we're doing not for any money at all and i don't think we'd ever monetize it. i think being a middleman in the in the fundraising process i think that's like uh, mm. it doesn't sit well with me I think it takes advantage of people uh you know, my thoughts on it really are like yeah we make money as a bank account both from people using the debit card and also people just storing deposits with us like that's our that's our monetization uh and especially things that don't cost us money like doing raise which is like you know i mean it takes work to like connect that network together and all that. And there is a cost associated to that, but it's not like a variable cost, it's a fixed cost. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, building like better software for people or like uh, making these kind of community-based improvements, you know, we'll do a ton of that stuff for free. And, you know, if it gets us more users, more retention or just happier kind of entrepreneurs, like I'm happy to do that all day long.
0: I guess that's pretty smart from your end too, right? I mean, they get investors, they get you know, they raise capital now. They're putting that capital in your bank account, so you'll make it on the back end, right? So it's a yeah. Like well, one goes. of the ins-
1: inspirations. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to speak ill of our, our competitors, mm-hmm. but you know, there is a certain incumbent in this space that always like makes noise about how they help uh, startups get funding, and as far as we can tell, they don't really do anything. Uh, mm. So we wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to turn their like kind of noise about about how they're useful
0: and actually like make a product <laughs> that's useful to people. Smart. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) Cool. Um, so I want to get more into kind of like the personal questions, just kind of, uh, you know, rapid fire, but you can answer however you like. Um, you know, looking back now, um, I I don't know what the right age is. I'm not sure what your age is right now, but what what's one advice you wish you had known and you would tell your, it's called 25 year old self, 30 year old self around that range when you first kind of, you know, early stage entrepreneur.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm 36. Um, Okay, so, so let's see like <laughs> 10 years ago what advice I would say um, mm. yeah and you know it's tricky because like you just don't know what like what path you took like whether you could have done it differently and all that kind of stuff I would definitely say you know when we did a pivot like we were always and we did yeah, you know, back then, as as I kind of somewhat described, we did quite a few pivots in our company. We were always constrained by the box of what we were doing, so we were only like, you know, like, oh, this is kind of working, but like not really working. Let's like pivot like one piece of that box, uh, which kind of makes sense, right? Like you're like, oh, I have all this code base written. I just I don't want to do something completely new. I'm going to do like a little piece of that. But I think the right way to have approached it even then would have been to go, okay, you know, this is not working. Let's like go. Yeah, let's just forget what we know and just go back to the drawing board and come up with like something completely new. Uh, if we had done that, uh, I think we could have made something much bigger. Uh, yeah, in the end, we were successful, but we were always like we did basically four pivots in that company. Uh, yeah,
0: wow.
1: and that was a long time; like it took eight years, or whatever, seven years. Uh, but it was always within that box. Uh, and I often tell entrepreneurs this. I'm like, hey, if you're gonna do a pivot. Just start from zero, come up with the biggest thing that you're most passionate about and do that. Right? Don't be constrained by like, oh, the thing I'm doing right now, that's not working.
0: So you say it was like, rather than doing like marginal iterations, like don't be afraid to... Yeah, completely. Yeah, just like, you know, like put,
1: just delete everything it. you got, go back to the whiteboard, and like start again. Don't even it's come hard up though, with a right? new name.
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's, it's hard, the, but like that's always almost always the right thing. I mean, if mm. it really is like okay, I'm working. It's like there's a baseline. It's working, and it's like a feature improvement. I mean, that's one thing. But if you're really pivoting, like you know, we really did throw away pretty much everything we had three, four times. Uh, so there's no point in like doing a little bit. Like you might as mm. well go crazy and like just can jump out. I mean, look at the best of ever right this like slack went from a uh, freaking mm-hmm. like m- you know multiplayer game to a, yeah. a chat collaboration company that's yeah those two have nothing to do with that if you look at like the most successful pivots they tend to be like not yeah no not like a marginal thing but like a completely different space uh, and that was
0: uh, yeah that's true I remember that story with slack where they they ex- exactly just shut it down right and they get I think they were like Planning to give back the money to investors, and they just had a little bit left, and they, they just somehow, you know, that last amount they had left, they're able to 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 make Slack work, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah. like Stuart Butterfield has done that twice. He did that with Flickr as well. So yeah, uh, yeah that has got a really funny email from Mark <laughs> Andreessen where he, he's like, if he, if he does it again, then it'll be great. <laughs> he
0: did. <it>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did it again. That's funny. Cool. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, so just just quick question on that. So from that first company launched to the fourth one where was that you know you, you scrapped it every single time or would you say that first product to the fourth one was like a completely different uh, product
1: uh yeah they were all like vaguely related but yeah you know, they okay. progressed quite a bit like it was like flash games mobile game social network ad network mobile mediation it's they're all like you could you could map the story out but they okay. were very different uh, right.
0: cool thanks for that. um cool so what, what are some challenges you guys are currently facing in order to continue to grow and scale mercury right now
1: um, yeah i mean there's a there's an internal challenge especially with the pandemic like we you know we've basically grew from i guess 20ish people at the start of the year and now we have 65 people uh, so just doing that yeah we we tend to be like fairly anti bureaucracy and uh, yeah we don't want to have meetings about everything and all that kind of stuff so Yeah, how do we like scale the company and still be efficient and innovative and like have everyone, you know, feel like feel like they're 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 being uh having the biggest impact they can have kind of thing. So that's kind of something that I think about quite a bit uh mostly an internal thing uh egg, and i think it's made harder just like because yeah even if we had, we're we're fairly distributed team but at least we'd normally get together every now and then and like see each other and like build like these kind of interpersonal bonds sure. uh so i think that's that's probably like the biggest thing i think about um let's see what other stuff i mean it's yeah there's especially as we grow there's obviously like there's a lot of maintenance involved, uh, especially uh, yeah, especially where Mercury meets like the legacy banking infrastructure, uh, mm-hmm. which yeah, there's a reason banks uh, suck, and part of the reason is like the legacy stuff is kind of bad. Um, sure. So yeah, it's a continuous battle to to both scale and you know keep it stable and like uh, and improve that stuff but also like continuously innovate and you know, I'm really happy we got this kind of big product out Mercury Treasury this week because we've been working on that for like freaking 12 months oh, uh, yeah. so that was, that was a big deal uh, so yeah I'm a big fan of just continuously like improving and innovating so, so that's that's something we want to keep doing
0: Nice. It must feel good finally just getting that out, and after all that hard work, right?
1: Yeah. Seriously, it was. Yeah. It, it took a lot, <laughs> lot longer than like initially anticipated, but
0: <laughs> as, as, that's as as normal. Like yeah. Cool. Um. Who are you know? You've obviously had some success over the last few years. Who or what have been? You know, can can you pinpoint any three resources, whether that's books, people's mentors, or people you follow? You could say have been, you know, instrumental to to your success.
1: Uh, That's a good question. I mean, I think I spend a lot of time, um, towards, especially at the start of my entrepreneurship, just like, I just, yeah, I think it's important. It's getting like very specific feedback is often not useful in my opinion, but like, learning to think in the same way that like successful people do is so yeah uh, yeah i did a lot of and i still do uh but yeah read all the autobiographies i could find of like yeah like shoe dog and steve jobs and all that kind of stuff listen to any podcasts as i can you know read every one of paul graham's essays uh obviously going through yc was like very important as well to get in the right mindset of entrepreneurship um so I, I do find that sometimes people don't do that kind of thing. Like they want to be successful, but they haven't like necessarily like done the homework as it was. Uh, and I do think it's valuable. I mean, I wouldn't like go and do a bunch of networking events or conferences, all of that. I don't think that, like that's that valuable, but like having like a you know, learning to think in the right mindset, eventually, you know, you've hopefully like, absorb that and you don't have to keep doing it for years and years. But I remember that was like something I really focused on for the first few years. And I think it was like helpful in like forming my kind of, you know, having like good instinct. Like you want to, you want to get to a position where like you can make decisions quickly and like, uh, but the only way you get there is by like building up like a good kind of instinct of like, what is, what is things that have worked for other people that haven't worked for other people and being able to like, uh, build on that.
0: I mean, isn't that essentially what it is? Just like how your decision-making is, you know, it'll really be better than, you know, other pre- people's, uh, how they make decisions and over time that compounds, right. If you do it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. but yeah, the other thing that was quite useful is just moving to San Francisco. Yeah. Maybe, maybe now Silicon Valley is in the cloud or something like that, but but just surrounding yourself with like other entrepreneurs or, you know, other people doing the same thing that you're doing, hopefully slightly ahead of you and stuff. yeah, Like you can learn a lot from like just kind of the serendipity of surrounding yourself with good people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously you've had success with your exit at that point. Um, today, what does success mean to you? Does it, whether that's personally, financially, you know, lifestyle, there's no right answer. How do you define
1: uh, it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think success is like, uh, I did a tweet about this recently, but I don't think success is like the, the end goal, like success is the journey, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to try to have like the biggest impact possible, both, you know, with like like concentric circles, like with myself and family, with my you know, people that work at Mercury, with all of our customers and all of that kind of stuff. And like, I think having that biggest impact possible is like probably what drives me. So, yeah of that is just like growing Mercury a lot, adding more yeah products so that we we help entrepreneurs more. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I
0: think about success. Nice. So it's more of a day to day journey, and that's what your success is. As long as your your daily uh, kind of routine and habits are you know leading towards yeah. that, yeah. but
1: always like towards growth. Like I don't think yeah I don't I don't want to be static, and that's in that day to day either. like I want to keep like progressing.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Cool, um, Imad. What What are your future plans for Mercury going into 2021, and uh, how, where can our audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're what you're working on?
1: Uh, future plans? Just kind of, we're going to continue launching some of these kind of financial services, and also just improving Mercury. So there's, yeah, there's a ton of like incremental things we can do. Uh, and kind of new things we can do sorry that's like a little vague uh but, <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> but that's it's okay. gonna
1: be good uh and yeah best days to get in touch with me i'm on twitter it's just imad i-m-m-a-d uh, and yeah you can tweet at me or my dms are open as well
0: awesome yeah and that's how that's how we connected as well so uh thank you thank you Ma. thanks for joining us we'll put all those links in our show notes for people to check out um and uh, i highly appreciate you jumping on spending time with me today Yeah, thanks for having me, Anu. Thank you. (laughs) No worries, cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.